right, good morning, church. It's great to see you. Uh, if you've got your Bible, open it up to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. And yes, I said Psalm. Uh, I don't know if you're a stickler about that or not. Um, the book of Psalms, and then each one is an individual psalm. Got that out of the way. We're good now. Um, doesn't bother me, but I figured it might, uh, might help some of you in the room. Uh, psalm chapter 1 is where we'll be. We are starting a series for the summer. Uh, where we are going to look at um, a couple of different psalms. Um, we've got a, a couple guests that are going to come and teach us as well throughout the summer. Um, Tyler Stevenson is going to teach us in a couple weeks, which is going to be great. Uh, you all know him and love him dearly, so we're excited to have him and Ronnie Stevens and a few others. So we're just glad to, uh, um, to take a, a fun journey through the psalms. And it gives guests um, the freedom to kind of pick and choose, but also to stay within the text, which is great. So... Uh, I'm going to kick us off in Psalm chapter 1 this morning as we get ready for our series, Um, but I want to give you a couple reminders before we pray and read this and uh, jump in. Uh, One is that uh, the tank's on the stage this morning. That's huge. Hopefully, you got to hear Jeremy's story. Um, Man, um, you know, I'm not about changing rules or doing anything different around here, but one of the things I'd love to do is... um, when someone, and he didn't get baptized in this service, but when someone goes public, um, to ask the congregation as they're committing to follow Christ and showing um, that they have um, a relationship with the Lord and they've been changed from the inside out, to ask our congregation um, if they would commit to coming alongside this brother and uh, discipling him and pointing him to the cross, pointing him to the gospel, um, because this is a family and we want to live and act like a family. Um, so second service, I will probably look at the congregation and invite them to, uh, to come alongside this brother who's getting baptized and to, uh, to point him to the cross. So if you see Jeremy, um, he'll be here for the second service. Encourage him, give him a hug, introduce yourself to him. Uh, we'd love uh, for you to do that. Uh, reminder, we've got dinner tonight at six. Um, we would love for you to join us. It is a, just a family affair up here tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to grill out some burgers and hot dogs and throw some water slides out there for the kids and um, just enjoy being a church family together and break bread together. So if you're in town, if you're available, um, it's at no cost. All you got to do is show up here at six um, with some swimsuits on your kids and uh, send them loose and then hang out with us. Uh, we'd love for you to be there uh, for that. And then um, also, and I apologize that we didn't get um, some notice out to you. We found out after the service last week um, that our beloved uh, Charlie Green passed away um, last Sunday or yeah, early into the hours of Father's Day last Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Um, so Charlie is with the Lord. And uh, we will be celebrating his life this coming Saturday. You're welcome to be here. The service is at 11. Uh, We'd love for you to join us there. Um, 9.30 to 11 is the visitation if you want to come by. Um, And we didn't really get to celebrate Dottie either when she passed during COVID. So we are going to do a celebration for Charlie and Dottie and uh, just thank the Lord for their lives. And uh, Charlie used to sit in that chair right there. We've got it out in a little plastic black chair there and uh, every week. And uh, we loved that he was a part of our body. Um, he would be 96, I believe, this August. So um, a life well lived, and uh, we're so grateful. I can't think of another person. Um, as we think about our lives, as we think about the fact that we are not of this world, we're not citizens of this world. Philippians 3 says that we're citizens of another world. Um, I can't think of someone um, who lived their life with a foot in each world uh, more than Charlie Green. Um, did not separate the spiritual and the gospel things from just everyday life and uh, pointed us to the cross, pointed us to Jesus, pointed us to the power of the Holy Spirit um, on a regular basis. So um, 
we're humbled, um, we're sorrowful, yet we're rejoicing um, that he's with the Lord and he's with Dottie, and um, we're going to miss him around here for sure. Um, but let's pray. We get to thank God for a lot of things this morning, and let's pray together. Um, but first, we should probably read Psalm 1. So if you'll stand, and uh, let's read this together, and then we'll jump in. This is Psalm chapter 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, God, we need you. Um, as we look at your written word, Father, I pray that we would see Christ in it. We would see the living word. Um, God, help us to look away from ourselves and to look to you um, during these next few minutes. But God, we invite your spirit to move. Um, God, to examine ourselves, um, that you would test us and try us, that you would conform us to the image of your son. And God, ultimately, um, that we would be changed um, through our time spent um, beholding you in your word. Um, God, we're grateful for Charlie. And we're grateful for um, just the way that he lived his life. God is a sign um, that pointed to you, that pointed to what you've done in his life. Um, God, he was not perfect and neither are any of us. But man, he pointed us to grace and he pointed us to where he's found bread. And that's in you. And Father, we thank you just in your grace in our country this week. Um, God, that you've given states um, the power, um, God, to protect the lives of the unborn. And we pray for our leaders in our country. God, we pray for the churches in this community, God, that we would step up, and um, God, that we would um, adopt, we would foster. God, we're grateful for those in our body right now who are in the um, process. Um, God, we have people in our body that are receiving children tomorrow, and uh, God, we give you all the glory and the praise for that. Um, so Father, um, we pray that we would step up as the church and do our part, but we're grateful for your grace and your mercy um, in that verdict, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, this morning, we are talking about what it means uh, to be happy, um, and we'll see in that ver uh, Psalm 1, verse 1, uh, the word blessed there um, doesn't necessarily mean like circumstantially blessed. It doesn't mean, you know, all of the things in your life just suddenly come together. We talk about this often, that following Jesus doesn't mean that everything just works out perfectly for you or anything like that. That word there actually is translated favored or happy or restful, um, but it's this idea of um, regardless of the season that you're in, that you are happy, you are blessed. Um, it's actually the same word, um, kind of a nerdy tangent here, but the Old Testament uh, was translated to Greek, and it's actually called um, the Greek Septuagint, or the Septuagint, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but the early church fathers, uh, even some of the apostles, translated the um, Old Testament from the Hebrew, from the Aramaic to the Greek, and uh, the same word that they translated from blessed here is actually the same word that Jesus uses on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Um, it doesn't mean that when you're poor in spirit, life just goes well for you. It means that you have joy, that you are happy, um, that you are content. 
Um, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to actually be happy this morning? Where does our happiness come from? And the reason we're going to do that is, one, it's just figured we'd start the Psalm series with Psalm 1. But also, um, we are all on a journey to be happy. Um, everything you do stems from this desire to be happy. If it's the shows you watch, the hobbies you participate in, um, the things you enjoy, the people you surround yourself with, um, going to work might not necessarily make you feel happy, but it's because you want to be happy with the money that you can make and the things you can do and the provision you can provide and all of those kind of things. But everything we do stems from this desire to be happy. You see this in our children, everything they want, um, they believe will instantly make them happy. Uh, I remember being a child and going to my parents around November-ish and saying, hey, um, if I could just get this one thing, um, I would be happy and I would never need you to buy me another gift again, right? If you could, Dad, if you could just get us a third trampoline because we've broken the last two, right? I would never need another gift ever again. Um, but we all are on this journey to be happy and it drives everything that we do. The posts that we post or the, the reason we don't get on social media and post, I personally try to abstain for my own happiness. Um, but we all are driven by this desire to be happy. The things we eat, the things we drink, the places we go, the things we do, we all want to be happy. And where in the world does happiness actually come from? Um, C.S. Lewis has these wise words that say, don't let your happiness depend on something that you can lose. Um, we'll see in this psalm right here that you need a happiness um, that is not circumstantial. You need a happiness, you need a joy that can withstand the circumstances. And the writer of this psalm um, tells us and essentially depicts the story of a man who's blessed, who's happy, and we get to see, okay, what does it look like scripturally, what does it look like biblically to be happy? What does it look like to find happiness? Um, because human history, another C.S. Lewis quote, one, one of my favorites, human history is the long, terrible story of man and woman trying to find something other than God that would make them happy. Um, my life before I met Jesus is that in a sentence, is me looking to so many other things other than God to try to make me happy. I turn to my own success, uh, my own reputation at school, um, accolades on the basketball court, you name it. Was trying to find things that would satisfy my soul and make me happy, and that's human history. It's the long, terrible story of us trying to find something other than God that would make us happy. And the, the problem with that is, if you want kind of the, the end of the message, is that um, God cannot give us happiness or peace or joy apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing as happiness apart from God himself, as peace apart from God himself and joy. And there are things that make you feel happy in the moment make you feel at peace in the moment, um, but lasting and final joy and peace does not exist apart from God himself. And this psalm writer, the psalmist, um, is usually what a psalm writer is called, is going to depict us, um, what does it look like? What is a man, what is a woman um, who is blessed, who is happy in um, this psalm? So let's look at it together. Let's look at verse one. He says this, blessed is the man, or you could insert woman there, blessed is the person um, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And it's interesting um, that he says, blessed is the man, and then he tells us three things that the person doesn't do. So the psalmist is going to give us three things that the person does not do, and then he's gonna give us two things that the person does. 
But it's interesting that he starts, he blesses the man, and then he says, who doesn't do these couple things. But he says, happy or favored or rewarded is the man. Like I said, it's the same word that um, we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. And then um, the more I studied this psalm, but specifically this verse this week, um, the words in this verse are carefully crafted to the point where it is mind-blowing and it is impressive and it is just a grammatical feat um, to look at the, the thoughtfulness that the psalmist um, put into this one verse. Um, and if you look at the verse closely, and I'll, I'll walk you through these, there's three different progressions in this one verse. So he says, blessed is the man, and then he gives us these three different things, and there's three different series of progressions in this verse. Um, the first one, that we see here is the progression in activity. If you look at the verbs, you see um, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, and then it says who, nor who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and then it says who doesn't sit. So you see the progression? One is we're just walking by, we're walking around, we're walking close to the counsel of the wicked. The other one is we're standing, and when it says stand in the way, it doesn't mean like you're opposing it. It's like you're standing in the path. Does that make sense? Usually when we use the, the, the term, you're standing in the way, it means like you're in opposition. He's not talking about that. He's saying you're, we're walking near the path and then you're standing in the path and then it progresses to you're sitting amongst the scoffers. Do you see the progression in the verbs? And this is so true with us in, in sin. We see this uh, with our children and with teenagers all the time. First, it starts with um, just kind of perusing or perusing by um, bad company, bad advice, you name it, right? First, it's just a careful consideration. And then it's, no, I'm, I'm in the path with them, right? I'm, I'm participating in this. I'm gonna give this a shot. And then it progresses to, no, now I'm seated with them, right? I've, I've, I've put some, some weight in this. I've found some value in this. Like, I'm, I'm gonna join the company here. Do you see that? But there's some progression there. So you see it in walking, Standing and sitting, right, goes from passing by to stopping and joining to almost belonging there. But then you see a progression in association. So first, he's just walking by, and what's he walking by? He's walking by the counsel of the wicked, right? Just the advice. Hey, give this a shot. Give this a try. Hey, this is what the world thinks is valuable or pleasurable. This is what the world thinks will make you happy. Go and, go and give this a shot, right? Just the advice. But then it progresses to the way, Right, so it goes from just words and suggestions to, hey, participate in this, right? Give this a shot. Participate in this way of doing things. And then it goes to, it progresses into the seat, right? So I go from just listening to some advice to participating in the way to joining them in the seat, right? To valuing these things, to accepting these things enough to where I'm not moving past these things anymore. I'm gonna stop right here. I'm gonna adopt these values. I'm gonna adopt these truths. You see the progression? So it goes from walking to standing to sitting and then from their counsel to their ways and then to their seat to join them. And then there's a progression in rebellion where he starts with walking near the counsel of the wicked and you'll see three different terms um, for foolishness, for the fool in scripture. One is the wicked, right? So I'm, I'm looking at the, listening to the advice of the wicked, but then I'm walking in and standing in the way, the same path of the sinner. So the wicked would be someone who's foolish, right? 
someone who is ignorant, someone who just doesn't know any better, someone who thinks this is the right way to do things, and they do not even realize that they're in error. They do not realize that they're wrong, they're just following the ways of the world. Um, I just read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and along his journey, this young man named Christian meets worldly wise man who just starts encouraging him with all of the, the wisdom of the world. And when the circumstances get tough, um, worldly wise man goes home because his, his happiness is rooted in something that he can lose. It's rooted in earthly success and earthly wisdom and earthly things. And um, as soon as the going gets tough, worldly wise man says, I'm gone and goes home. But you see the progression from the wicked, right? The ignorant, the foolish, those that are wrong and maybe just don't know it to the sinner. The sinner is someone who is aware that they're wrong. They know that it is sin, but they choose to do it anyway, right? Their heart gets hard and they know that they're in the wrong. They know that they're not in line with scripture and they, yeah, yeah, I know, but this, you know, this helps me in the moment. This makes me feel good in the moment. Yeah, I know God says this, but I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take the shortcut that never really works out. Those kind of things, right? But you see the progression from the wicked to the sinner to the scoffer. The scoffer is someone that is not just aware that they're in sin, but they mock the truth. They actively oppose God. They actively choose rebellion. So do you see these three different series of progressions in this one verse? It's really magnificent if we take the time to look at it and pick it apart and just marvel at the beauty in this verse. And if you put it all together, here's how we progress in our sin. Here's what happens to the wicked man. Um, we go from listening to the advice and walking near you know, the direction of the ignorant and the foolish to standing and stopping and participating and joining in sinful, foolish decisions. And then the longer we do that, we go from not just standing, but sitting and belonging to the company of the scoffers and the mockers and the rebellious who mock God, who mock the truth, who take on their own values and they resist and oppose God. And some of you might know someone in your life who's, you've seen this progression happen in real time. Started with, you know, as Proverbs says, bad company corrupts good morals. It started with um, just being around the wrong crowd, moved into beginning to consider their advice, moved into adopting some of their decisions and then getting seated and finding their belonging and their acceptance in a crowd that determined um, their life and the fruit of their life. But it's beautiful when we look at this verse at just how this is progressing. And what's interesting is we can't forget that the psalmist says, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and who does not stand in the way of sinners, and who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see that? The blessed man does not move along the logic and the lifestyle of a certain kind of category or group of people. Um, the blessed man, as the psalmist would say, is aware of who he's associating with and who he's letting shape him. So the kicker is, okay, well, how do I not do those things, right? How, am I, how do I become aware when I'm considering the counsel of the wicked or um, standing in the way of sinners or sitting with the scoffers? How do I know? How do, how do I become aware of when I'm moving in that direction? Um, I would encourage you, if you're not reading um, scripture, I would encourage you, a great place to start would be to read the Proverbs. Um, the book of Proverbs is all about this very thing. Um, so many commentators said Psalms 1 is akin to just Proverbs, the whole book, Proverbs chapter 1. Um, 
The book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of a father writing to his son and giving him the wisdom of Scripture. And it's so, so incredibly applicable and falls right in line with this. Um, But this guy, this girl, this blessed person isn't going to move along the path of a certain way of thinking or acting or belonging. Um, So how do we not do these things? How are we able to avoid these pitfalls? Because you can feel kind of the pull of the world in verse one, right? I gotta get mine, I gotta do me. I gotta follow the advice of the world, the ways of the world, self-help, self-help, right? This uber productivity kind of filled world we live in, gotta find the strong way according to the world, gotta find the secure things according to the world. I gotta get whatever fame and glory and power I can get. But how does the blessed man live? Do those things actually make you happy? Worldly power, worldly success. How does the blessed man live? How does he abstain from those things? And notice As we transition to verse two, notice the psalmist goes from, here's all of the activity of the wicked. He doesn't move to the blessed man, doesn't do these three things, but he starts to do, and he just starts listing out activity from the blessed man. Notice he says the blessed man, he doesn't walk this way, he doesn't stand here, he doesn't sit here. It's interesting, you would think the psalmist would go, well, he walks here and he stands here and he sits here. Do you see what I'm saying? He doesn't give the opposite side of the coin. He doesn't go straight to more activity. That's not the gospel, right? You do not need me to get up here and to tell you, hey, stop doing these things and start doing these things, right? You don't wanna be bad, do you? You don't wanna be wicked, do you? Well, stop being wicked and start being good and blessed and then you won't be wicked and you'll be blessed, Amen, let's pray, send you on your way. Here's three ways you can not be wicked this week and here's three ways you can be blessed. Try that for five hours. Try that before you get home. It just doesn't work, right? If that's the message we're preaching, then we might as well just fold it up and go home. Hey, you don't wanna be wicked, go and be blessed, go and be good, right? You don't wanna be a baddie, go and be a goodie and then here's three ways you can be good this week and then you realize that way, as soon as you start trying these things, you go, wow, I'm way more bad than I thought I was and I'll never be able to be good. And you just fold up the Bible and you say, there's no hope for me. If that's the message that we're preaching. You never realize just how bad we are until you try really hard to be good. And then we realize, wow, I'm much more wretched and wicked than I ever thought I was. And that's not the the message. And I love that the psalmist doesn't go there. He goes, here's what the the blessed man, he doesn't do these activities and then he doesn't just shift to, but he does these activities. So stop doing those bad activities and start doing the good activities. What does he go to? He goes to delight. You wanna know the key of moving away from wicked ways and moving towards righteousness and being blessed? It's not in you mustering up a new activity. It changes with your delight, with your love, because you will do the things that you love. But he goes to his delight, verse two. He doesn't do those things in verse one. Blesses the man who doesn't walk this way, doesn't stand this way, doesn't sit this way. Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates on it day and night. Notice the order of the verse. His delight changes. His delight is in the law of the Lord. 
His love, his joy, his gladness is in the law of the Lord, not in anything else. And because of his joy and his love and his gladness is in the law of the Lord, it changes his activity. But he doesn't muster up a new activity to change his heart. No, his heart changes. His heart is in love with the law of the Lord. And because of what he loves, his activity changes. And you and I, we will do what we love. We will. At the end of the day, you and I, we will do what we love. We just will. We'll participate in the hobbies that we love. We don't struggle to go out and play golf. We don't have to muster up the activity to go, oh man, I just, you know, I just really wanted to do, I'm just struggling. I just have this temptation to not play golf and I'm just trying to work it out and work through it and kind of muster up the energy to go and play, right? And I'm not hating on golf by any means. Hobbies are great things. But you'll notice the things that you love, you don't struggle to do them. We make time for the things that we love. We run after the things that we love. We do the things that we love all the time. And we don't struggle against them. We make time and room and have energy and effort to participate in the things that we love. And there is a direct correlation between the fruit or the the sin in your life, you know, lack of fruit and fruit or sin and righteousness and your delight in the word. There just is. There is a direct correlation between your own righteousness and your good works and your good deeds and your blessedness and how much you delight in the scriptures. There is. Uh, John Piper, um, famous preacher in Minnesota, um, when his father gave him a Bible when he was a teenager, he wrote in the front cover and he said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And I love that because it's so true that to the degree that we delight in and we love and we cherish the, the wisdom in this word, to the degree that we will obey and produce fruit, right? John 15, apart from um, the vine, that we as the branches, we can't produce any fruit and, and unless we're meditating on and being motivated by and, and dwelling on Christ in his word. But this book will keep us from sin or sin will keep us from this book. There is also a direct correlation between how much we delight in God's word and how much we read it. If reading God's word is a chore to us, if it is something we are doing to ease our conscience, then three tips for you to read your Bible this week might help you for the next couple days, but then you will go back to doing the things that you love. We always do. We go back to do the things that we love. We just do. The, the key to being blessed is that you and I, we get our hearts to delight in the law of the Lord. The key to the blessed man is his delight. He doesn't read it because it's his duty. He doesn't read it because he's supposed to. He doesn't read it out of guilt. He delights in the fact that these pages are written by and reveal and show us the counsel of the Most High God who created the world and shows us how to work and to live within it. And he knows that apart from the wisdom of this word, apart from the peace and the grace in this word, that he can do nothing. And he runs back to the fountain. He runs back to the water 
over and over again. There's a reason in scripture that God constantly calls himself um, living water, this everlasting fountain of water, this ever-flowing river of water. Jeremiah chapter two, Jeremiah condemns the people for forsaking God, the fountain of living water, and turning and digging for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water, which is what we do on a regular basis, right? We forsake the fountain of living water that intellectually I think we would all agree that man, this, the words in this book are good and right and pure and just. The law of the Lord, Psalms 19, is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is true. Making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. Like we, we know that this thing is good for us. The problem is not intellectual. The problem is our delight. The problem is we fall in love over and over again with lesser things. We fall in love with ourselves. We fall in love with our own glory our own reputation, our own interests, our own selves, all of the things. We cannot speed past the word delight. God's word makes those that are blessed, the blessed man, the blessed woman, God's word makes him glad. There is a love for this word. There is a joy when we read it he or she recognizes that this word is good and sweet and refreshing to the soul. And notice what his delight results in. His delight results in him meditating on the Lord day and night. He doesn't read it out of duty. He doesn't read it to check a box. Out of gladness and out of joy, he meditates on the word day and night. He meditates on it because he loves it because it makes him glad. You and I, we will do what we love. And if I give you three tips to read your Bible this week, it might last the next three days, but then we will go back to what we love. The goal this morning is not to give you a couple tips to read the Bible. The goal is that you and I, we would delight in Christ. We would delight in Jesus and we would delight in what he's done. And when you love him, you'll run after him. The things that you think about will determine what you care about and the things that you care about, you will run after. You will become the things that you love. You just will. We run after the things that we love all the time. We have no trouble participating in hobbies, posting on social media. We have no trouble, some of us going to work because we love how work makes us feel or the person we are at work. No trouble posting things because we love our perception online or how posting makes us feel. We do the things that we delight to do. And I love that the word meditate here, it's, it's interesting um, when you study it, the word meditate there in the Hebrew is actually the word for like mumble or mutter. Uh, when you're like, well, what in the world? How does that make sense? Um, who mutters or mumbles on the word day and night? Um, but it's this idea of active reading. It's not just that we read it out of duty or we read it, you know, because it's the verse of the day. I want to check the box. I want to be able to tell someone I did or I want to ease my conscience. No, that like the blessed man is someone who's mumbling over the word, who's like actively reading it, who's reading it and talking to themselves and teaching it to themselves. Um, Richard Baxter is a 17th century British minister, and he wrote a book um, called The Saints Everlasting Rest, and it's about meditation. And he essentially defines meditation as fixing your mind on a particular truth in scripture and then speaking that truth to your own heart. 
where it's, it's an active listening. It's not just reading it to glance or reading it you know, to feel good or anything like that, but it's, a, it's fixing our minds on the truth and then mumbling over it, muttering over it, preaching it to our own hearts and to our own minds. Very much like Deuteronomy 6, how God, how Moses instructs Israel. He says this, the words that I command you today shall be on your heart, not you shall read them regularly, but you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, right? This is so much more than just you should read this because that's what good Christians do. It's no, these are the words of eternal life. These are the words of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That physically we might be doing all right, spiritually we could be starving. We live in a world where physically we could be totally nourished and spiritually we could be starving because we have neglected the bread of life. And we don't live by physical bread alone, but we live by, our soul is nourished by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses, um, later in Deuteronomy chapter 17, is instructing the future kings of Israel. And this is what he says. It says, and when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him and he shall read it in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of the law or of, of this law and these statutes and doing them. Moses commands the future kings of Israel that they should read the word of God. They should read the law all the days of his life. Very similar, this won't be on the screen, to Joshua, Joshua chapter one. The Lord shows up to Joshua. Moses is dead. You're the new leader. Be strong and courageous everywhere you go, everywhere your feet, you know, steps or treads will be given to you. And then he says this in verse eight. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then your way will be prosperous and you will have good success. Don't let this book of the law meditate on it day and night. And we live in a world today, we live in popular Christian culture today, where you might hear something along the lines of, man, I love Jesus, I love what he's done for me, but I just don't really jive with the Bible, right? Yeah, I love the idea of Jesus. He was a great teacher, a great person. He's a savior, all those kind of things. But I just don't really care much for the scriptures. I don't really care for the word. And let me just say this. Those things are incompatible to say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the Bible or I don't love his word makes zero sense according to scripture. To love Jesus is to love the word. Why? Because Jesus is the word. He's the, revel the word, this, this book is a revelation of God. It's how he's chosen to reveal himself to the world. This is how we know who God is. This is how we know what he's like. This is how we meet with God. If we don't meet with God here, then we don't meet with him. We sing songs that are great about God, right? We go out in creation and it points to God. But how do we know which songs are actually about God? From the word, the best songs that we sing are the ones that are anchored in the word, that are anch anchored in the text. 
Because this is how God has revealed himself. How do we know that creation shows us who God is? Because he tells us in Romans 1. He tells us in the Psalms that the heavens declare the glory of God. To say that I love Jesus, but I don't love the Bible, or I don't care much for the word, is completely incompatible. He is the word. And to say I love Jesus, but I don't really love the word, essentially says I love what Jesus gives me, but I don't really love Jesus. Because Jesus is the word, John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, the word became flesh. Jesus is the very revelation of God, the word of God, the character of God in human form. Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God. That this is Jesus' revelation of himself. Spending time in creation is great. Spending time singing is great. But if we don't spend time in the word, if we don't sing songs that are rooted in the word, then we aren't meeting with Jesus. We might be in our feelings, we might be doing something else, but if we don't meet with Jesus according to as, or how he's chosen to reveal himself in his word, <clears throat> then we are not meeting with him. And this is why, um, if you want just a, a personal tangent, um, and I won't say this with a whole lot of force or anything like that, um, I would... And if you've got one, the goal is not to make you feel bad. I'm actually gonna look in this Bible and see if it is one or not. Um, I don't prefer the, uh, the red letter Bibles. Um, if you've got one, it's fine. I'm not telling you to throw it away or burn it or do anything like that. Um, I don't prefer them, and it's not anything wrong with them. There's not anything heretical about them. Um, the, the reason I don't prefer them, um, and I even own a couple, is that it gives us this tendency to elevate you know, the red letters over all the other letters. When, you know, we'll see issues and we'll see things and we'll hear people say, well, Jesus never condemned X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> and we look in the red letters and, oh, hey, you're here preachers. Hey, these, these letters are in red, right? These are the important ones. These are the words of Jesus himself. When Jesus is the word of God, he was there in the beginning. He's the entire word of God, not just the red letters, and you'll hear a common argument in culture is, well, Jesus never condemned this or Jesus never you know, said abstain from that. If it's in the Bible, then Jesus condemns it or Jesus affirms it based on what the scripture says. If it's in the entire book, Jesus is the word of God. He's the whole thing, not just the red parts. And if the Bible condemns it, Jesus condemns it. If the Bible affirms it, Jesus affirms it. Whether it's black or red, does not matter. Why? Because God wrote the word, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is God-breathed, or your translation may say inspired by God. Jesus is God. He was there. He was there in the beginning. He's the very word of God in human form, not just the red parts, all of it. So if the Bible condemns it, then Jesus condemns it. If the Bible affirms it, then Jesus affirms it. Regardless of how we feel about it, regardless of what we think, If scripture says it, then it is as if Jesus said it himself because he is the word of God. The spirit of God wrote the word. The spirit of God magnifies Christ and points us to Christ in obedience and according to the plan of the father. God wrote this word. And Jesus is the revelation of the word in human flesh. 
And it makes no sense for us to pick and choose different parts of the word that we're going to obey based on if it was in red or in black or if Jesus in his human body actually affirmed it or he didn't. For us to say, as Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To say that I've, been, I've died with Christ, it's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. For us to say that I'm die, I've died with Christ, now I live to him, he's Lord of my life, makes no sense if we say, yeah, Jesus is Lord of my life, but I'm Lord of my bank account, I'm Lord of my personal life, I'm Lord of my sexuality, I'm Lord of all these other political things. No, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, he's Lord of our whole lives. If we've truly been crucified with Christ and saved and redeemed by the grace of God, then we submit to him as he's revealed himself in his word. Does that make sense? That was my commercial. Uh, if you've got a red letter Bible, keep it, use it, but just be cautious that we don't add extra emphasis to the red parts because Jesus wrote the whole thing. It's a revelation of himself by his spirit. Does that make sense? Awesome. So then the writer moves from <clears throat> the root of the blessed man's obedience to the fruit, right? The root is he delights in the Lord. The root is if you love me, and then he moves to the fruit, you'll obey my commandments. As Jesus says in John, so many of us think that we've gotta obey his commandments so that we'll love him. And Jesus says, no, 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 one's root and then one is fruit. If you love me, here's the fruit of your life, you'll obey me. And the psalmist moves from the root, the delight, to the fruit. Here's the fruit of someone who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. <clears throat> Verse three, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. So the blessed man, the one who delights in the word, who delights in the God of the word, who delights in the gospel, <clears throat> meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree. So this person, I, I love this illustration, this word picture would be like a tree that's firm, that's sturdy, that's strong, and that he would be planted, right? So not just a tree with shallow roots, but a tree that's planted, that's firm, that's got deep roots, that's secure. And not just strong and secure, a tree that's planted, but planted by streams of water. So that you and I, as we meditate on the word, as we delight in God's word, we would be strong, we would be secure spiritually, and then we would be nourished. This tree is planted near and by streams of water. So that in whatever season, winter, the heat of the summer, that we would be nourished in every season of our lives. Why? Because we're planted by the streams of water. We're strong, we're secure, we're planted, we're nourished. Our leaves don't wither in seasons, but we produce fruit in season, right? We're still susceptible. The fact that you and I believe in Jesus doesn't mean that we get to skip out on the winter or on the summer, <clears throat> right? The cold of winter or the heat of summer or the fall or the spring. We still experience all of the brokenness of this world like everybody else, but we experience it with strength and security and deep roots and nourishment in every season. So when the dark and the cold and the dryness of winter comes and things get tough, that we stand secure, we stand nourished 
when the springtime comes and it's time for us to produce fruit in our lives, we can. Why? Because we're nourished by the word. We're secure, we're planted, we're rooted. And then he says this, and all that he does, he prospers. Now this isn't talking about necessarily earthly blessings and earthly prosperity. In this world, we will have trouble, right? He's talking about in all that he does, he'll be blessed. All that he does, he'll be glad, he'll be rewarded, he'll be happy. He will experience the presence of the Lord in all that he does as we meditate on God's word day and night and as we delight in the God of the word. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That if you and I, if we meditate on the word, the blessed man, the blessed woman is the one who delights in God, who delights in Christ, who delights in the gospel. And because of our delight, we run after the things that we love and we meditate on this word. And regardless of what happens out there, we will have peace and security and joy and contentment in here. And we'll be nourished in here, regardless of what season we're in in the world. Does that make sense? This depiction of a tree standing firm and bearing fruit is all throughout scripture. Psalm 92, it's in there. It says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. Can I get an amen, Mr. Lloyd? Still bear fruit, right? Talk about someone who's planted in the word. Bearing fruit, pointing us regularly to the gospel in old age. Regularly. Bearing fruit. Charlie Green, same way. What does a life look like when you're in your 80s and in your 90s and you're still bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? Someone who loves the word. Someone who delights in Christ and meditates on the word of God. And we thank God for you. We give glory to God as we see your good deeds bears fruit in its old age. Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water, does not cease to bear fruit over and over and over again. And then this psalmist returns back to his comparison, to his contrast. So he'd be like a tree planted by streams of water, produce fruit, all of those things, and then verse four. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff <clears throat> that the wind drives away. So he contrasts the fruitful tree with the fruitless chaff, where one is sturdy and strong and rooted and nourished. The chaff is essentially just the excess of the fruit. Um, it's the, someone helped me kind of, understand this. It's, it's the, the dry stuff that falls off the ears of the corn. It's, it's the stuff that falls away from the wheat that blows away with the wind. It's not the fruitful parts. It's the dry, um, weary, not secure, blown away parts of the fruit. So he's contrasting. You've got the sturdy, strong, rooted, nourished tree that produces fruit. And then you've got the not so sturdy, not strong, not rooted, not fruitful. Dry, malnourished, fruitless, light, easily movable, et cetera, et cetera. The wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Why? Because they do not delight in the law of the Lord. They do not plant their roots in scripture. They do not get nourished in every season by the word. They don't meditate on it day and night. So however wise the wisdom of the world may seem, however strong 
the powerful things in this world might look, however established and secure people's seats in this world and their positions might appear, when the time comes, they will wither. If your life is built on earthly, worldly wisdom and earthly offices and earthly powers and earthly authorities, when the time comes, it will be blown away like the chaff. Jeremiah, Isaiah 30, or 1 describes the wicked. Isaiah 17 describes the wicked. He says, you, uh, he's, this is Isaiah 1 talking about the wicked. He says, you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender and his work a spark and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. You and I, if we're building our life on earthly, worldly success, if we're finding our joy and our happiness and things that we can lose, they will blow away. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked won't stand. <clears throat> the word stand there is the Hebrew word for rise or arise. And he's talking about this end times judgment that the wicked will not be able to arise when the time comes, when the Lord returns and when we all come and those that are righteous and those that are blessed come to meet him, that the wicked will not be able to stand before him, that they will not arise. Their counsel may seem wise, they may seem strong, they may seem established, but they will not stand in the end. The judgment will go against them and they won't be able to join as the psalmist says, the congregation of the righteous. And oh, what a joyful day when the congregation of the righteous, not righteous in our own works, not righteous in our own abilities, but the congregation of those who have been made righteous by the blood of Christ, gather together. What a joyful day. There will be a congregation of children, of men and women, of people who identify with him, who follow his way of life, whose belonging and security is found in Christ and who meditate on his word because they delight in him. And then he says this in verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And what's interesting about this verse, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, is this is much more than just an intellectual knowing, right? The Lord knows everything. Lord's in the heavens, he knows it all, he does whatever he pleases, right? God knows everything. He doesn't just know the good deeds and the righteous ways, he knows the wicked ways too. This is not just an intellectual, hey, God knows the righteous folks. No, God knows them all. But this is an intimate, this is an effectual, this is an affectionate knowing. The Lord knows an intimate way, the ways of the righteous. Very similar to what we walked through a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter seven, where Jesus says, depart from me, I never intimately knew you, right? I never knew you affectionately. I never had a relationship with you. You're standing in your own effort and your own works and your own abilities. You're not claiming and falling at my knees and you know, professing your inefficiencies and your inadequacies and putting your faith and your hope and your trust and your love in me. It says the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. This is an affectionate knowing. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage. And as I study this, here's where I find my hope and my contentment and my joy. As I read this, as I read Psalm 1, 
and I turn that mirror around, as James says, that the word of God is like a mirror, shows a man who he is, shows us what we are like and what we look like. And the standard is to delight in the Lord always, to meditate on his word day and night. The truth of this text is I don't meditate on the word day and night. And I don't delight in the Lord always. I find my delight in my job, in my profession, in my reputation, in my earthly stuff, in my possessions all the time. I wish I could delight in the Lord as much as this psalmist is describing. The, the, the kicker of this whole psalm is that I'm not the blessed man and you're not the blessed man or the blessed woman. The blessed man has to be somebody else. If our blessedness or our righteousness is dependent on our ability to delight in the Lord and our ability to meditate on his, <clears throat> on his word day and night, I mean, look at verse one. I don't always avoid the counsel of the wicked or always avoid participating with sinners or always avoid joining and belonging with scoffers. I do all of those things. I listen to foolish counsel and wicked counsel and I join in the way of sinners. And embarrassingly, there's times in my life where I've joined in the scoffing. Why? Because I am the wicked and I am the sinner and I am the scoffer with the way I live my life and the affection and the devotion I give to the Lord. I do all of those things. I walk in wicked ways. I join the path of sinners and I sit with the scoffers. And that's the point. I am not the blessed man. You are not the blessed man or woman. This psalm is talking about someone else and it's not us. The truly blessed man is someone else. There is only one who did not walk in the counsel of the wicked and who did not stand in the way of sinners and did not sit in the seat of scoffers. There is only one person who has ever fully delighted in the law of the Lord and meditated on it day and night. There is only one who has ever been planted like a tree near streams of water and produced fruit in every season and did not wither and prospered and obeyed the Lord in all that he did. And it's not me, it's not you, it's not us. And Psalms 2 tells us who it is. Psalms 1 and Psalm 2 are linked together. But Psalms 2 says it's the king that God set in Zion. It's the only begotten son of God, Psalm 2.7. It's the one who God has made the nations his heritage and the ends of the earth his possession, Psalm 2.8. It is Jesus. He's the blessed man. And you and I, we can be blessed. We are blessed, not if we do enough, not if we muster up enough effort in our own strength to go and be enough, to go and work hard enough. We are blessed if we fear the Lord, Psalm 2, 11, if we love the Son and if we take refuge in him. Here is the gospel, is that the only truly blessed man to ever lived was treated like the wicked so that God could treat the wicked like the blessed man. That's the good news of the gospel. And to the degree that we relish that and love that and cherish that and understand that and dwell on that, the, the greater degree that we'll love the Lord and we'll meditate on his word. The goal is not three more tips to read the Bible. The goal is to love God and cherish the gospel. 
And the more we realize just how wicked we are and just how good and gracious God is, the more we'll run to him and his word to commune with him, to be with him, to dwell with him. But if we're not all that bad and all that wicked, then God's grace isn't all that great. And I'll come to the Bible every now and then when I need a hand. But otherwise, God, I've got this. But when I realize that I am a wretch, that I am blind, that I am wicked, that I am sinful, that I scoff, that I'm ignorant, that I'm foolish, to the degree that I realize just how wicked I am in my flesh, to that same degree, I'll realize just how good and gracious God is that he would save a wretch like me and he would run after me and he would take a wicked person and call him his son. And he would graft me into the family and give me the family name, child or daughter of God. Someone like me, someone who's deceitful and manipulative and foolish and prideful and arrogant and selfish, that the God of the universe who's perfectly holy and righteous and has never had a thought that's been evil or wrong or never done a deed that's been evil or wrong would take someone like me and bring me into his family at the cost of his own son. When I actually realize that, when I delight in that, the fruit of my life will be meditating on God's word and communing with him and dwelling with him as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And I will meditate on it more when I remember his grace and his goodness and his mercy more. To be truly blessed this morning is not to stop doing a couple of activities and start doing some other activities. To be blessed is to delight in Christ and to delight in the gospel and to delight in what he's done. And when you truly delight in Jesus, when you love him and run after him and delight in him, you'll stop doing certain things and you'll start doing other things. But that's not what saves you. What saves you is your delight. What changes you is not your own efforts. It's your love for him and your love for his word that will produce fruit in your life. This new identity in Christ, chosen, redeemed, loved, secure, will produce a new activity that looks like loving God and producing fruit. Our new identity in the gospel will produce a new activity. We are blessed this morning because the righteousness of the blessed man has been put on us and the wrath of God has been put on him. That's why we're blessed. Not because we're good people, not because we read our Bible enough or we behave well enough, It's because God has treated the truly blessed one like the wicked so that he could treat wicked people like us, like the righteous. And that's good news. He took the punishment and judgment of the wicked so the wicked could have the blessing. And at the end of the day, your salvation is not dependent on your pursuit of God in your Bible reading. Your salvation is not dependent on your pursuit of the word. Your salvation is dependent on the word's pursuit of you, of God himself, the word made flesh, that God, the eternal word, would take on human skin and he would pursue you. He would run after you and he would die in your place. He would take on your punishment and he would give you his reward. Our salvation is not dependent on our pursuit of the word, but the word's pursuit of us. And now you and I, we don't have to read the word for our salvation. We get to read this word from our salvation. And that's a different burden to bear. 
that you don't have to pick this up every morning and read this so that God will love you or be proud of you or save you. He already is. He's shown that to you in Christ. Now we get the easy burden and the light burden. Jesus has taken the burden of the performance and the burden of the works and he's done it. And now we get the burden that's easy. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, give me your burden and take mine. He's taken the burden of the performance of living a good life, living a righteous life. You and I don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to read the Bible to be saved. Now we get a different burden. We get to read the Bible because we've been saved. And that's a burden that's easy and a burden that's light. We don't read this for our salvation. We get to read it from it. Does that make sense? So the action step this morning is delight in Christ. Delight in the gospel. And you will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water that produces fruit in season that's not blown away by the winds of this life and the brokenness of this world. Delight in the gospel. Meditate on his word. And as you do, you will progressively and in sanctification over time, you will begin to avoid the counsel of the wicked. You'll begin to spot it and to see it and to avoid it. You'll begin to avoid the choices of the sinful and you'll begin to avoid the belonging with the scoffers. But it starts with our delight. I'll close with this. How do you make a fire? I've never done Boy Scouts, um, but I've got some friends that are and uh, they have taught me about the fire triangle, right? What are the three elements you need to make a fire? You need heat, you need fuel, and you need wind, right? You need those three things. You need a source of heat, you need fuels in the fire, and you need the wind to blow. You wanna know how to cultivate the fire in your own heart, your walk with the Lord? How How do you have a fire for the Lord in your life? Well, by faith in Christ, he's given you the heat, He's put the faith in you. He's put the love in you. When you accepted him and put your faith in him, you have the heat source. He's given that to you in Christ. And he promises us in his word that as we read it, that the winds will blow, that the spirit, same word for spirit in the scriptures is the word wind or the word breath, that the wind will blow as we meditate on his word. What's the fuel? The scriptures. How do you cultivate the fire of God in your life? You feed the flame in your heart with the fuels. And as you feed the flame in your heart with the fuels, the wind promises he will blow. You cannot grow in your love for the Lord and your delight for the Lord apart from his word. How do you plant yourself in the ground? How do you be nourished by the waters? You feed the flame, you fan into flame what God has produced in you. You take these fuels and you put them into the flame, and God promises us over and over again in his word, when we do that, the wind will blow, and the fire will grow, and we'll cultivate. God has given us the flame, he's given us the wind, and he's given us the fuels. You and I just have to put the fuels into the flame. We've gotta meet God in his word and meditate on it and see Christ in the word, see the gospel in the word, amen? Let's be a people who do that. Not to be saved, but because he is saved sinners like us. Amen. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for another reminder that in our own works, in our own effort, we could never save ourselves. God, we could never be good enough. I can't read my Bible enough. I can't act well enough or right enough. And God, the goodness of the gospel is I didn't have to. 
you looked down on a world who could never save themselves and you stepped out of heaven and you met your own standard. You didn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You didn't stand in the way of sinners. You didn't sit with the scoffers. But God, you delighted in the Father and you obeyed his word perfectly on my behalf. So God, because of that, help me to be a man, a husband, a shepherd here at this church, God, who regularly meets with you and runs to you in your word for my nourishment, for my happiness, for my gladness. God, because apart from it, apart from you, there is no such thing. So God, we worship you once again for what you've done in our lives. Raising our hands, not because we're good enough, not because we've performed enough, but we raise our hands like children who knows that the Father will love them regardless of what they've done. So God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.